And he begins that teaching with the parable of the sower, which he says is the foundation of all the parables of the kingdom. And then if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you cannot understand any of the things that Jesus teaches. It's the fundamental key to understanding the kingdom of God. So we haven't gotten away from the parable of the sower. We're still in it. And I'll share with you the section of Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. Verse 1, Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of his house and sat beside the sea, and great clouds were gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things um, in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them up, and other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they didn't have much soil, um, they had no depth of soil, and so when the sun came out, they were scorched. And since they didn't have any root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up, choked them, and the seed fell on uh, good soil, though. That seed produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then coming down to the 18th verse, Jesus explains this parable when the disciples come to him and said it. What did that mean about the, the parable of the sower? And so Jesus says, well, hear and understand the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, I want you to note that Jesus refers to the seed as the word of the kingdom. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the word of the kingdom. I would just say this to you. If you want King Jesus, he comes with a kingdom. And uh, when you receive him, you become a member or you become part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the sphere of Jesus' lordship. It is, it is the area over which he reigns. And of course, that kingdom is spread throughout the hearts of men that have been redeemed. So he says... If anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one then comes and snatches away that which was sown in their heart. This is the one that was sown by the wayside. Now as for the one that was sown on the rocky ground, this one hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures but for a while. When tribulation or persecution on account of the word arises, immediately he falls away. As for the one that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good ground, this is the one that hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. <clears throat> These are the parables of the kingdom of God. And let me say to you this about Christ's kingdom. No one can enter Christ's kingdom by joining, earning, or working their way in. But you can be born in. In fact, the only way to enter the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom, 
is you must be born into it. Now, what that means is that whatever it is that you cannot receive by joining, by earning, or by working, you can inherit by birth. Think about it for just a moment. What are you trying to join today? What are you trying to work for? What are you trying to earn in your life today? It might be money, it might be position, it might be the attention of others, it might be achieving some sort of status, whatever it is that you are laboring for. I'm not suggesting you quit your job, stop laboring, or not seeking favor, or any of those things, but let me just say to you, that what you cannot obtain in this life, by any of those means, joining, earning, working, or any other such thing, in the kingdom of God, it is given to you by being born into it. You can receive through birthright what you cannot earn. Keep that in mind. So, Nicodemus, one of the leading scholars in Jesus' day of the scriptures, comes to him by night and is asking about the kingdom of God. They're very concerned about the kingdom of God and what Jesus has to say about it. And Jesus answers him as he begins to ask about the kingdom of God and says this in John 3. Truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He's thinking physical, which is appropriate. We're physical. We live in a physical world. So he's, he's thinking, well, what are you talking about? How can a person be born again? Can he enter? And it's a rhetorical question because he's, he's, he's caught Jesus in an impossible statement. Can he enter again into his mother's womb, come back out again and be born? Jesus answers and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, the water that comes through birth, I don't need to go into the details, but when you're born from the natural womb and born by the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's that second birth, being born by the Spirit. That which is born, Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus, of flesh, is flesh. What the flesh gives birth to is flesh. But that which is born by the Spirit, what the Spirit gives birth to is spirit. So Jesus sums up and says to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born into the kingdom of God. None of the citizens of the kingdom of God have ever entered it because they earned admission, because they worked their way into it, or because they bought their way into it. Nicodemus, listening to Jesus, is absolutely astonished to learn that no one ever born of flesh will ever enter the kingdom of God. He's absolutely astonished because his entire life has been invested 
in being a teacher and a scholar of the Word of God, and he believes it because of his Jewish heritage that they are in line to inherit the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says, it is impossible for you who are born of flesh to even see, much less enter into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus' whole foundation, someone pulled the rug, to use an old expression, out from under him. But now, and, and the reason why Jesus has told him, the reason why nobody born of flesh can enter the kingdom of God or even see it is because what is born of flesh is born with fatal sin. And every single child born into this world, regardless of family, heritage, position, or any of those things, every single one is born with fatal sin. Flesh begets flesh that is separated from God, and none born of flesh will enter the spirit kingdom, the kingdom of God. But Jesus says not to worry. I can furnish you a second birth. Nicodemus, little world is rocked once more. I didn't realize a second birth was available to men. Jesus says, absolutely. But it's not a flesh birth. Remember Nicodemus said, well, how can I climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? The obvious answer is it's an impossibility. In other words, you cannot enter the things of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God through any kind of fleshly exercise. It must be born of the Spirit. Everything in the kingdom of God comes as a birthright through faith, that new birth that is given to us in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So he was even more amazed to learn there's a second birth available to man. He didn't realize that. Some of you may remember a number of years ago that that three-part trilogy, that great movie series called The Matrix. How many of you ever remember seeing the movie? It's a tremendous movie. And the hero in the movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should probably just at least see the, the first episode of it. The movie, The Matrix, the main character is a guy named Neo. And he lives in a world where all human beings that we understand as we look at the world around us going through our daily life are actually living in a dream state. That what we think is reality is a dream state when in fact everybody is enslaved in a little cocoon and kept by machines that have taken over the world. Evil machines that keep everybody cocooned and they are in this um, hibernation state and they're all collectively dreaming that they're alive in this world. Until the Machines use them and consume them for energy, and then they're dead out of that world. And so in this movie, the hero is a guy named Neo who has an awakening and realizes that in this dream world they're living in, he can see the enemy, he can see the machines. And so as he develops this ability to see life as it really is, his super abilities to combat evil begin to arise within him. And so you've got this great drama. Well, people were amazed at um, how close that movie and its storyline paralleled the biblical worldview. The fact that the hero in the movie, as he develops the ability to see people the way they really are, to see life the way it really is, that's when his abilities 
those super abilities to combat evil began to arise within him. Similarly, Jesus was able to utilize his unparalleled authority and power with surgical precision as he dealt with people, dealt with Satan's bondages over their life, freed the oppressed, opened the eyes of the blind effortlessly, speaking the word of the Father, acting in the Father's will, moved in this landscape of bondage in this world with such ease and with such authority and with such power because he saw people as they really were. When you and I look at the world, we tend to evaluate the world and we evaluate one another and tend to even evaluate ourselves in terms of certain ideal standards. I'll give an example of what I mean. The ideal standard of goodness the ideal standard of success. We judge others, we judge ourselves by these ideal standards. The ideal standard of intelligence. The ideal standard of virtue. And so we evaluate ourselves and other people as being bad or being failures or being dumb or being corrupt or being good, or being successful, or being powerful, all based on these ideal standards that the world sets. And so we don't really see the world as it is, but Jesus, when he moved through this world, he didn't look at people based on their intelligence, based on their success, their position in life, or any of those, quote, ideal standards that men evaluate themselves one with another and compare themselves with. Jesus, when he looked, he was like Neo in that movie. As Neo had this awakening and began to see the world around him, he began to see people as either being dark or having light and life in them. He was able to see the enemy. He was able to see clearly who was real and who wasn't real. When Jesus looks at the world, he sees the real condition and he sees people are either dead or they're alive. The real issue in life is are you dead or are you alive? Jesus said, I've come that you might have and have it more abundantly. Why would Jesus come to people who are obviously alive and say, I've come to give you life. You would think that he would have preached to the graveyards, preached to the people that really are dead, preached to those dead bodies. But Jesus said, you are dead, you are separated from God. You have what the Bible refers to as spiritual death. We think because we're animated, we're moving through life, we're drawing breath, that we're alive. But in God's mind, real life has no death in it. It has no cessation. It has no ending. It has no limitation. True life is the life of God. Amen. It's not bound. It's not limited. It's not corrupted. It doesn't have moral imperfections. Jesus is life. The Bible says in him was life and that life was the light of men. So Jesus comes into the world and he is preaching to dead people. People who just haven't fallen over yet. 
But the truth is, the life that every one of us as sinners had was a life that eventually would fail. And we would leave this world as death eventually rose up from within us and brought an end to what we call life. So the reason I say all this is not to get off the track and get philosophical, but because I want you to understand that we evaluate ourselves and we evaluate the world, we evaluate other people based on these, these worldly ideals or ideal standards that are nothing more than measures of death. They're not really detecting the true issue in life. Jesus would go into a village and when people came to him that were blind or demon-possessed or that were, um, that were lame, what Jesus saw was that he didn't see the, their moral abilities. He didn't see their intelligence. He, he didn't look at any of those things that we look at to see whether there was spiritual potency in that person. What he saw was death, and he knew that within himself was life. He knew that the life in him could destroy death, just like turning a light on in a room causes the darkness to cease. It doesn't fight with the darkness. It doesn't wrestle with the darkness. When's the last time you turned, did you, uh, this morning, if you got up before the sun did, you turned the light on, did you hear the screams as the light was fighting with the darkness in your room? And the darkness said, no, I don't want to go, and the light said, but you have to. The fact is that light just simply makes the darkness in its vicinity end. It no longer is. Light is. God said, I am that I am. And so Jesus knew that the I am in him, the light, the life, had absolute dominion over the fruits of death, the fruits of darkness. So when he saw blindness, he saw darkness. He saw death. And he simply spoke to death with the life that was in him. He was aware that he was and is alive. Can you say amen? See, our perspective, unfortunately, too often, is that we are simply flesh just like everybody else. And so we deal with everything by those measures. So we tend to look at all those measures and take them all into account and come up with what I would call moral worthiness. We look at a person's goodness, we look at where they're at in life, and we determine, we even look at ourselves, and we say within ourselves, I'm morally worthy or I'm morally not worthy. Now, the reality is that the true issues of life come down to, is it dead or is it alive? What you cannot obtain by struggling in the flesh for, you have received through birthright when you were born again. Now, in Luke chapter 20, verse 38, the Bible says, Jesus actually spoke and said, God is the God not of the dead, but of the living. God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. Everyone who's God's people 
are alive. They're his people because they're alive. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. So when Nicodemus comes and he's interested, he says, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. He says, well, the problem is you're dead. But don't worry. You can be made alive. And so we all know the story of the new birth and Jesus at the cross. Let me say to you this, kind of sum all this up because it it could be a little abstract. Let's make it very simple and practical. The number one feature of the kingdom of God is that all of its citizens are alive. The number one factor, the thing about the kingdom of God that is most prominent above everything is that everyone in it is alive. Life is the great characteristic of the kingdom of God. The life of God. Hallelujah. And the ambassadors of Christ, you and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. In this world, we are armed with that life as we go out into this world. In 1 John chapter 4 and 17, it says, For as He is, so are we in this world. We, again, here's the contrast. We think in terms of moral superiority. In other words, if I haven't been as good as I think I ought to have been, then I have a tendency to think I'm not entitled to the benefits of life. But the benefits of life didn't come because of my moral works or because I joined or earned, but those benefits came because I was born with the authority. When you were born again, you received, because of the life that came into you, the authority of that life, the power of that life. That's why a person can receive Jesus, be born again, and turn around that very day and lay hands on the sick, and they're healed and delivered. You think, well, they haven't even had time to develop moral superiority or to be able to earn some kind of power, to have that potency. But the potency doesn't come. The power doesn't come because you've earned it, but because you were born into it. Can you say amen? amen? Now, what does this have to do with the parable of the sower? Jesus said, the good ground is the one that receives the seed of the kingdom. The entire kingdom of God is not something that you and I produce by works. We are born, it is born into us through the new birth. In all of its power, in all that Jesus is, is simply born as we hear the word of God. The seed of the kingdom is the word that I'm preaching to you this morning. When you hear the message of Jesus Christ, and when you hear the claims that he has made, that he says that by my stripes you are healed, when he says that my blood has given you righteousness, when you hear those claims, you hear the word of God, when you receive that seed into your heart, it births in you the power and the authority, the reality of the kingdom of God. It's not something you can work for. Flesh cannot produce it. You must be born into it. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, You have been born again, not from the perishable, but from the imperishable seed, the seed that cannot end, that cannot be destroyed, You've been born again from the imperishable seed through the living and enduring Word of God. 
Let me say to you today that when you hear and believe the Word of God, life can wear you out, but the Word in you cannot be worn out. When you receive the Word of God, it is imperishable, it is living, and it is enduring. That's why when you've reached the end of your rope, you remind yourself of the Word and you put your faith in God's Word and stand on it, and all of a sudden the energy the enduring power of the Word of God is yours, and it rises up, and of course, we're refreshed. Peter went on to say, For all of flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. It withers, the flower falls off, it fades away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. So, Christian, let me say to you this morning, that is, you sow the Word into your heart. Every time you're tempted to evaluate yourself and trust in those ideal standards, look to the Word of God. Take hold of it. Remind yourself of what the Word says. Feed yourself with the Word. By the way, persecution and affliction comes for the sake of the Word. Every Christian that begins to sow the Word of God in, their self, in themselves, Satan comes to steal it, to distract it. They lose interest. They all of a sudden have got to itch. They've got somewhere they've got to be. When it comes time to, to learning the Word, other interests all of a sudden just distract you. I've heard so many people say, Oh, I just can't understand it. And they give up. Oh, I just... But the problem is that you are in a conflict. Through your natural flesh, the enemy is trying to rob the seed of the kingdom out of your life. Everything that the kingdom of God is producing in you is produced through that word. And the enemy is trying to steal the word out of your life. And if you just simply resist him, and how do you do that? The imperishable, enduring word of God. If you will pray the word, learn the word, speak the word, stand on the word of God, it will give you the endurance. It will cause you to stand up. You will inherit the victory and walk in that victory in this world just as Jesus walked in. The Bible says he was the word made flesh. Jesus spent time in those mountains praying to the Father, keeping the Word circulating in his heart and in his mind. Every time he encountered the devil, the devil was unsuccessful because Jesus would not give up the Word. The Word was his view. It's what caused him to see the things the way that he saw them. And so when they came to him and said, well, Lazarus is dead, and Jesus said, yeah, but I'm alive. And I'm here. And so if I'm here and I'm alive, all I have to do is speak to him, and he who is dead will be alive. Because my life has victory over death. Somebody say amen. In 2 Timothy 1 and 10, the Bible says, Jesus our Savior, who abolished death. Oh, I love that. Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the seed of the kingdom. He's brought to light life and immortality, and he abolished death. I like to say it like this. 
The life of Jesus killed death. We think death is the final blow. Life is the final blow. The life of Jesus, hallelujah, that is the nuclear option. The life of Jesus blew death away. The life of Jesus ended death. Just like that light ended darkness. Hallelujah. Except, unlike these light bulbs, the Lord is an eternal life. And He has given us eternal life. Jesus rose from the dead because there was no death in Him. There was no limit in Him. There was no shortage in Him. There was no expiration in Him. Everything about Jesus, His love, His grace, His power, His mercy, all of that came up out of the grave, victorious over death, and alive with a life that cannot die. So when you receive the love, the grace, the power, the mercy of Jesus Christ, you receive a love that cannot die. You receive a grace that has already kicked out death. Nothing anyone says to you, nothing anyone does to you, nothing that money takes away or gives, nothing that sickness can do, nothing that the opinions of men can say or do or any kind of effect this world can have on you can ever defeat the grace, the love, the joy, the mercy, the truth of God's Word in your life. If you stand on the Word, heaven and earth can pass away. But those who stand on the Word of God will never pass away. Somebody say glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus is the life that killed death. Hallelujah. And it is that resurrection life with which Jesus made you alive. When you were born again, you weren't born again with a second chance. You were born again with resurrection life. Resurrection life is life that's already defeated death. It's death proof. There's no failure in it. There's no death in it. There's no sickness in it. That's why when life speaks from you to sickness, sickness cannot abide. When life talks out of you and talks to the devil, the devil cannot stand. Not there's a fight, an argument, a struggle. If you are able to speak life, death cannot stand before you. All you and I need to do is we need to be like Neo in that movie and we need to concentrate every day and make sure we're walking in life. You walk in life, you make sure your eyes are filled with the light of life. Your mind is filled with the truth of life. Your heart is right and in alignment with the, with the Lord of life. And when you speak life, Jesus, the living one, the resurrection life will speak through you. You see, the secret to raising the dead and healing the sick and seeing the miracles of God take place in this world is simply walking in Jesus, walking in the life of Jesus and allowing life to speak through you. Hallelujah. You know, you could be getting up every day and you could walk out in this world and say, Jesus, who do you want to talk to today? Jesus, who do you want to influence today? Somebody say amen. amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
You see, I'm not running around through life when I say I am I'm speaking rhetorically uh, as though it is all of us speaking. We're not running around saying, oh, gee, I think I'll run over to Morton Plant Hospital and I'll just clean it out. This is everybody be sick. That's flesh talking. That's, that's, that's me coming up with my ideas. But instead, Lord, you are living large in me. You are the Lord of life living in me. What do you want to do today? Who do you want? If you walk in life, when the Holy Spirit does rise up in you and says, you see that woman standing over there? I want to deliver her. Go over and say such and such. You'll be ready. Because you will have thought in terms of life. You will think and see in terms. Your heart will be aligned. Your flesh won't say, well, you can't do that. And your flesh is constantly going back to looking at things based on the ideal standards. You're not smart enough for that. Oh, you haven't fasted enough this week. Or, oh, you know, you've done this. Or all of a sudden you start making moral evaluations based on what? Based on what is dead. Instead of making moral evaluations based on the word of life. Hallelujah. Why do you think the shadow of Peter passing over lame people stretched out on the sidewalk was causing him to be healed? Peter was walking by, sharing Jesus, loving Jesus, and as a shadow, they were sticking lame people out on the sidewalk, knowing where he was going to walk by. The shadow. Can you imagine him walking walking up Myrtle Avenue in the morning? Well, in the morning, the shadow's going to be over on that side of the street because the sun's in the east and everything. And uh, so all of a sudden, here he comes in the morning. Oh, we weren't expecting him till the afternoon. They've got him all lined up on this side of the street. So they hold him, hold him there at the, hold him there at the corner. Drag all those lame people. Just grab them by the ankles. Quick, get them over to the other side of the street. And they're dragging them along, and their heads are bouncing on the. It's a, it's a funny picture. But the fact is, it really happened. His shadow, so we need to get him over there where the shadow is. And so they're dragging him all over there to the other side of the street. Later in the day, sun's over, over there, shadows falling this way, drag them all over this way. <coughs> what was Peter? He was alive. And he knew he was alive. What was Peter? Alive. Alive. When Peter went to the gate beautiful of the temple and he saw the lame man, he said, such as I have. What did he have? Life. He had life. Hallelujah. When he reached out and took the man by the hand, he was thinking, he, with everything within him, he's feeling, life is in me. He felt like a hot 220 cable. He just reached out and said, you take my hand. He said, power is going to knock out that lameness in you. Have you ever grabbed? You ever been hit with three-phase 220? Probably not here to talk. I got a little jolt from three-phase 220 once. Let me tell you what, it'll knock stuff right out of you. Knock the fillings out of your teeth. Hallelujah. And so that power of life was in him, and he took that man by the hand. The Bible says strength hit that man's legs, and he jumped up on his feet and followed Peter into the temple, walking and leaping. 
You know, it's amazing to me, man had never walked in his life. Lame from his mother's womb. He not only got healed, he learned how to walk before his, he sprung to his feet. When he hit his feet, he knew how to walk. I mean, babies don't even do that. Your babies don't come out and start dancing across the delivery room floor saying, Hallelujah, I'm here. That guy did. He went walking and leaping and praising God. <coughs> Peter was alive and he knew he was alive. The seed of the kingdom was in him. The problem is with church today and with religion is we have turned people away from the seed of the word, from the word of life. And we've made everything back about ideal standards. Now, I believe in standards. We live in a world that needs, we need standards. If we were all in heaven, there would be no standards because there'd be no need for them. Everyone would be alive with the life of God and in that life is absolute perfection. There'd be no rules, there'd be no regulation. You'd think, oh, we'll get away with murder. Nobody would, where would they get the murder from? You go to heaven, where's the murder going to come from? People said, well, if there's no rules, why not? Why people would be like, people would be like uh, doing wrong things. Where would they get it from? There's no darkness in the life. There's no death in the life. The only reason why there's the thou shalt nots and all of those things is because darkness is in the flesh of men. So yeah, we need those standards. But you and I, we've not been set free from those rules so that we can break them. We've been set free so we can live, so we can be alive, so we can walk in victory. Somebody say, praise the Lord. That's the resurrection life, the life that killed death that God has made you alive with. Life resides in the word, in the seed of the kingdom. And in John chapter 6, it says, the spirit of the one who gives life. The spirit is, excuse me, not of, the spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. From the mouth of Jesus. The spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Let me say this. You will never really live by looking to the world for life. You will never really live by looking to the world to try to find life. Let the life of God capture your thinking and then it will transform your life. Let the truth of the word be the truth and the reality that forms your reality. Be willing to lay at the foot of the Word of God everything you believe and say God's Word is the truth. And that is what I will submit to. You know, I became a believer in 100% of everything the Bible said before I ever knew what it said. Because I made a decision. I believe the Word of God is absolutely 100% the truth. Amen. And then I spent the next many years 
learning what it is I believed was true. You can do that. Why? People do it all the time. People commit to believing things all the time that they absolutely have no idea what it is that they're committing to, but they've committed to it anyway. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, we read it before, I tell you the solemn truth that unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The first rule of the word of God is that it cannot just convict you, it must convert you. When you hear the word of God, don't just be convicted, let it change you. Be obedient, let it convert you. Before you can be a transformed person, the word has got to change you from being a blind person to being a seeing person. The word of truth has got to remove blindness from your eyes so that you can see. People who have seen the truth of the kingdom of God have life in them. When you are born again and the word of God is alive in you, the word of the kingdom, you have in you the life that can raise the dead, the life that can open the eyes of the blind. All you have to do is live. Live that life in Jesus. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning.